hello, everyone. Welcome back to Marlin's Corner. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, today's episode is going to be just about one movie. One movie in particular. This was not a movie I was going to go see. And by going to go see, I mean getting on my couch and pressing play on my Amazon account. This is a movie that uh, streamed on Amazon. A friend of mine, Emi, was telling me about it. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I need to see it. This looks like another Chris Pratt war film. He really is all about his war films. He's like really in these films a lot. And so I'm like, cool, don't need to see it. But what did catch my eye are two things. One, I happened to see that this one involved aliens. Uh, and it reminded me, I think, of After uh, I think of After Earth or that Tom Cruise movie. And I was like, well, that's cool. And two, I happened to hear just how not great it was. And I decided, oh, my goodness, I... I have to watch this. I have to see if it's really as bad as it is. Oh, the film is Edge of Tomorrow. That's the film with Tom Cruise. Edge of Tomorrow. That's what it reminded me of because it's also a time film that deals with kind of like aliens too. But anyway, the film I'm going to dive into today is called uh, Tomorrow's War or Tomorrow War. Uh, and if you have an Amazon account or any kind of social media, they sh- they broadcast this movie everywhere. If you ordered any Amazon packages, you probably had it on your Amazon package of Chris Pratt's face. Uh, so Tomorrow War. And I'm just going to kind of break down the film and also just do something that I haven't done before, which is kind of script doctorate and tell you how it could have been better in the long run and how it could have honestly been a really awesome film. Now, the director of this film is Chris McKay, uh, and you might know him from some really interesting projects that are in stark contrast to what is to what he has his name on today. He's responsible for the Lego movies with Lego Batman uh, and uh, Emmett, which also has Chris Pratt in it. And he also was uh, a director of a couple of Robot Chicken episodes. So very surprising tones uh, when you consider what he's doing now. And I think ultimately, I don't think that he was the issue. I do think that directing it was really great. There were a lot of awesome scenes, a lot of like the monsters were great in this, the fight scenes, explosions, those were all fantastic. I think where a lot of the issues fell on, I was on the writer. Now, this this writer's name is Zach uh, Dean, and he's a bit new, a bit green. A few of his films on IMDb I just haven't seen. Um, Deadfall, 24 Hours to Live. I don't know these movies, but apparently those are all he has. He has about six credits on there. So he's more of a newer writer. And I think as a new writer, what he ran into were a lot of issues that hopefully, if he continues to do, to do this, People can give him feedback. You can work on a team of writers. But I do think that as a newer writer, there were a lot of issues that were happening in the script that they were happening in the, the, the writing of this movie that ultimately uh, were negative in the long run. Um, the actors in this film are Chris Pratt, Ivan Sohovsky, uh, J.K. Simmons, and Sam Richardson. Um, those are just like the ones you'll get to see the most on screen. Um, the storyline is as follows. The world is stunned when a group of time travelers arrive from the year 2051 to deliver an urgent message. 30 years in the future, mankind is losing a global war against a deadly alien species. The only hope for survival is for soldiers and civilians from the present to be transported to the future and join the fight. Among those recruited as high school teacher and family man, Dan Forrester, a.k.a. Chris Pratt. Determined to save the world for his young daughter, Dan teams up with a brilliant young scientist, Ivan Starhovsky, and his estranged father, J.K. Simmons, in a desperate quest to rewrite the fate of the planet. 
Now, y'all, this film, this film is two films, or maybe even three films in one. Um, the full runtime is about two hours and 20 minutes. This film really wants to be that summer blockbuster. You know, it really wants to, like, wow you with everything. And it unfortunately has too many things. Uh, it reminds me of, like, a, a couple of, you know, sci-fi classics, you know, like Starship Troopers, uh, Interstellar, Independence Day, Aliens, and, you know, many more that deal with, like, time travel and aliens. So we kind of get a chance to see that. Ultimately, what I do think is the issue is that the film introduced a lot of subplots uh, that they don't really go into as much or that they kind of, like, overwrite by saying, oh, we don't have time to discuss it. We got to go to the future even though it's a time travel movie and blah, blah, blah. Either way, they don't have time for it. They got to do stuff. They're on a, a timetable. It's got to happen now. Um, but my biggest gripes uh, for the film are as follows. Time soldiers. Now, in the beginning of the film, they come back in time onto a soccer field and announce to the entire world because apparently uh, they have microphones on and are patched into all the cameras and the audio crew turns up the volume. Uh, they come to the past and announce that the future is basically screwed. There are only about 500,000 people left uh, and they need help. Now, they tell folks that this all happened in Russia is where they came from. They don't know when they landed. There's no evidence of a spaceship landing anywhere. All they know is that it started in Russia. With that information, these time soldiers have just one solution, which is great. We're only sending people to the future. They have no other solution given the information that they have, meaning they don't even try to find these aliens in 2021. They're only focused on like, cool, we got to just prepare for the future. We got to send you all there. There's no other plans involved. Just go to the future and fight the time soldiers. They don't want to come back in time and find where these aliens are from and get rid of them. No, 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 no. They got things to focus on, i.e. the future. That's that's one of my issues I have. Another issue I have, you know, in uh, connection to the time soldiers is communication. There is a huge lack of communication between characters in this film. I mean, from not working together to find where the aliens are in 2021 uh, to also how they recruit. There's this worldwide conscription or draft that's going on, but there's no real process in place to train or inform the civilians that they're taking on for the task at hand. I mean, there's a scene where... Chris Pratt as a character finds out he's being, you know, drafted. Chris Pratt's character is allowed to go home, tell his wife. He's allowed to go meet his dad somewhere else and talk about maybe or maybe not removing the uh, armband that's uh, attached to him. To, uh, pretty much is going to be his time travel device, as well as, you know, Mark, who has someone who has to do this. Uh, he's allowed to go home and do all that. But in the next thing, when he shows up to, you know, the, the site, the, the, the base to prepare for, being transported, you see that there's every other background character who looks like they were just pulled from work. They're wearing office attire or they're wearing a chef's outfit. And it's like, how tactical is it to just pull someone from their day shift at their local Arby's and give them an AR-15 and shoot them to the future? If the future is important to be saved, wouldn't you want to specifically give time to train and prepare these people so that they are the best and brightest and most successful and integral to you saving the planet? No. Apparently not. Apparently they just need bodies to just go in the future and just be used as cannon fodder. And they kind of keep, you know, they kind of double down on this by even refusing to show these civilians what it is they're fighting. 
they have a meeting where they're just told you just aim for the neck and the belly. And it's like, cool, that's helpful. But like, what are they aiming at the neck and the belly at? You know, if, if you could tell me, cool, this creature has the neck and the belly. I don't know what that creature's entomology or physiology looks like unless you show it to me. And they try to say, oh, we're not going to show you because you might not fight or you might run away. And it's like, they're already at the base. Y'all are in a full on, like, it looked like a, like a, like a full, uh, tarmac, uh, tunnel. Like it was almost like a, like a airport hangar where they closed the door. Where are they going to run to? They're surrounded by a full military. They can't really go anywhere. And in the previous scene, you told them that if they don't come, their family gets arrested. So if they're already there, why not just tell them? And lastly, with this communication piece, it's mentioned that they're only recruiting folks who are, you know, in their 40s or over or folks who are not going to be alive in in 30 years or whatever. And it's great. That's a very interesting thing to talk about. It's a very interesting aspect of this, you know, uh, draft process. But hey, listen, I'm 30, 30 years old. When I sit or stand down, sometimes I make a little grunt, a little like, ah, ugh, you know, dad sounds. That's me at 30. And my day-to-day is pretty much, you know, going to and from work, sitting down, recording podcasts. You can't just drop me in a military situation and tell me just to go somewhere and expect me to kind of have that wherewithal to handle myself. How could you expect that with like 40-year-olds? In a similar situation, except now it's like, great, they're aliens, you don't know what they look like, and you don't really have a goal in mind other than, like, point and shoot. How is that helpful to them at all? How is that okay? These folks don't even know how to operate a weapon. And that's seen later on when uh, Sam Richardson's character doesn't know how to load his gun or, what is, or, or where the safety is. These are things that could have been communicated a lot better and could have been prepared for, but apparently it doesn't matter because you just need to throw bodies at these aliens because that's all that matters in the future, which is uh, negligent at best. And lastly, what one of my biggest gripes is the endings. There were multiple parts where it just seemed like they wrote to a point, stopped, and then just kept writing to like justify other things because they had to answer other subplots. And it didn't really know. It, it kind of felt like it was stopping and starting over and over again. It just felt really weird. So ultimately, Chris Pratt's character goes back in time uh, to team up with his daughter, who is the colonel. And, you know, they're trying to create this toxin that kills all the aliens, male and female. And he gets the toxins right as the human race is obliterated by these big, crazy apex creatures that have talons and they have tentacles that shoot out spikes. Uh, so he gets the toxin to create the whole, like, species, and he goes back in time. Mission success. He's, 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 he's got the toxin. The movie doesn't really show us what he does next. It just fades to black as he passes out, and then it doesn't really tell us what happens after he gets it. It just, he just goes home. And it's confusing. It's like, wasn't this a super important thing? Why is he just heading home? And shouldn't the world be excited that they have this toxin, that they were successful? There's no mention of their mission success. He just goes home and he hugs his family. And the story keeps going because now it's like, oh, hey, you're back from the future. And he's like, yeah, our daughter was the leader of the resistance. And, you know, she she died giving me this toxin. But I don't know what to do next. Like, these creatures are, are terrible. I, I don't want us to wait that long, which is, like, fair. You don't want to wait 30 years so these things pop up and start killing them. But apparently in this one moment, in this one scene, these are the only two people in this entire world that come up with the idea of, hey, 
maybe we should use the information we have and figure out where these aliens come from, track them down, and kill them earlier to avoid them coming out and killing us later. Apparently, the only two people on the entire planet to think of this idea, and the movie keeps going. And at this point, Chris Pratt, uh, he goes and tells this straw man for the government, hey, we kind of have an idea where these aliens are. Uh, we should go get rid of them. Apparently, like, hey, listen, I know you saved the world, guy, but yeah, that idea is is, is a hypothesis, and we're not going to test it. So I'm just going to say you're crazy and move on because the world's angry at each other. It's like, great. Cool. Why? If there's, if, there's a, if there's a global draft going on, meaning everyone has agreed to send people and they all are in agreement that what's happening in the future is bad, wouldn't they have a singular enemy, a singular goal in mind of ending this specific bad thing? But no, they don't have that idea at all. Instead, he says no so Chris Pratt can get his own team up going and he's somehow able to produce mass quantities of the toxin that I guess he can just do because he can and no one tries to stop him. So the movie continues. And now we got, you know, a part three, which is just his Mission Impossible S team that goes to Russia in the, in the Arctic to go find this alien. And they go there and it's like a, a six-man team from kids from the future and folks who survived from his tour in the future that are going there. These five or six people, they go there and, of course, they, you know, only inject a few aliens with the toxin and then decide, you know what, let's just blow this whole thing up. And you find out that, cool, apparently you just needed to blow them up. You didn't really need the toxin because literally the... The, the 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 TNT or whatever explosive they, they, they use, it blows up 99.9% of these aliens. They all explode. They all die in this explosion, except for this one female that escapes, and she becomes the part, you know, three or four ending, where now the surviving members, which are Chris Pratt, J.K. Simmons, and Sam Richardson, have to go and find her. And this whole ending reminds me of just how influential Independence Day was to sci-fi, because Thanks to Will Smith punching that alien and saying, welcome to Earth. You now got to have Chris Pratt and J.K. Simmons, sorry, jacked J.K. Simmons fight this alien, even though in the film they were saying, hey, the females are stronger than the males of the species and way more deadlier. Apparently that goes out the window because now it's a 1v1, 2v1 boxing match where they're just punching and stabbing this, this creature. And they don't even need to use the toxin all that much. I mean, they probably do use it like they, they did like use it on her in the end but she had fully had her eyes gouged out had her throat slit been stabbed multiple times it was kind of was overkill at that point uh and they kick her off a, a cliff and she explodes and dies and that's not it it's still not over yet because guess what? we have another ending we fast forward we go back to the regular uh neighborhood that this, that this guy lives on and now it's Chris Pratt and his estranged father J.K. Simmons that come up the, the driveway they meet his daughter they have a big old family hug and not yet we still have an outro by Chris Pratt where he's talking about you know the world and family and finally we end but it's been like hey this movie could have ended a long time ago there are a lot of parts in this film that could have been cut 
uh, edited down or moved. And I think ultimately that's what led me to this decision to make this whole podcast about Tomorrow's War because, again, this film had a lot of amazing pieces. The aliens looked absolutely terrifying. They were just done so well. Um, the war scenes, when it came to the use of the military, use of the helicopters, the Humvees, beautiful, done amazingly. But the script was just so hefty and having to include almost everything, I think there could have been parts that could have been cut down. At the most, I think I would suggest cutting down maybe 30 minutes or so from this film overall, maybe 45 if we, you know, tweak things up. So what I'm going to do is kind of list some things that I think are a much better way of organizing how this movie could have gone. So buckle in. This is going to be a wild ride for you all. So the movie Instead of it starting with people falling from the sky, which is, you know, and they're hating buildings and they're dying, it's very confusing. I think what we could do instead to kind of show more or less of a slow, ominous start is we instead start outside of that hospital they're at when they're first brought to the, the future. They're outside the hospital um, and you have those civilian lookouts. You know, they're looking out, just two of them, there's smoke everywhere, there's silence, you know, we, we and then we could chime in to like hearing, you know, the HQ asking over the walkie, have you found it yet? You know, we kind of can smash cut into the hallway where Chris Pratt is leading everyone down the halls. They're clearing the halls, looking for these files. We can cut back and forth from the search team to the lookout team. And we can start to see, hey, there's something in the shadows. There's something in the smoke. We can really use this kind of ominous entry to the film to kind of set the tone of view of the past is scary. And of course, we can jump back inside as soon as Chris Pratt's, you know, character finds the vials. You know, the, the, the outside watch team can like come into the building Building, you know, they can they can get in there. You know, they they, they start to exit. They go they, they they go down those back stairs that are spiral. And then, of course, we keep that scene, that important scene where we first see these creatures. I think we that's where we start. We we show them pointing the the, the flashlight at these creatures. We show them in that initial. Um, aggressive stance and then we look in and you know we zoom into Chris Pratt's eyes and we use that transition to like bring us to the to like the past you know and that that scene is important because it shows us the creatures it shows us the anxious environment and it kind of gives us just kind of an overall look at these people an overall look at uh Sam Richardson's character these older people to kind of get the Bible okay that's the past something happened and now we cut back to you know the past. Instead of us doing that holiday party, I think we cut that that holiday party out and we just make it just a regular day. Specifically because it was just a weird thing to include. It didn't really make any. It didn't really serve a purpose. It didn't need to be a holiday party. Uh, it it also was weird to have it be a holiday party and there'd be a soccer game on and have the entire house is that interested in a soccer game. So I think ultimately we take that out. We just have it be a regular day. Chris Pratt's on the phone doing his interview. His wife was watching soccer. You know, they can he they can still they can still have the discussion about his estranged father. Uh, they can sit down on the couch. Maybe she has an interest in a specific team. So now she gets some more characterization for herself. And in that scene of them watching the soccer game, then we see the time jump, and then we get to see their face. We get to the mom's face. We get to see Chris Pratt's face. And we get to see the daughter's face. Basically, the face of people that we actually care about. We didn't care about anyone at that party. 
with the original scene, but in this scene, their faces are important because they're the main family that we care about. Now we get a chance to really see, um, you know, this true horror that happens. And then we can still cut to them discussing, you know, the, the time soldiers still discussing what's going on. I think what we could adjust in this world is just how the world reacts to it. Instead of like the world, you know, going to chaos, which of course it can still go to somewhat chaotic, you know, because it's a huge, it's a huge revelation. I do think that we need to have it be a bit more grounded in reality especially in the fact that it would be a bit more regulated. Instead of just sending people in like week-long spurts just randomly, I think potentially what we could do is we set up potentially a two-wave system where the first wave goes first, which gives time for the second wave to train. And instead of it being a week long, maybe it's two or three weeks long. We give each one a, a more time for us to get to know the characters, and to train them specifically for the mission. That way it raises the stakes a bit of like, hey, wave one didn't come back. It's been, you know, they've been out there for so long, there are no survivors. Wave two, you are our, our chance. You, We, we got to get this done. That way we can get those stakes. We can get worried into it. I think by them just saying, hey, it just happens week to week to week, we didn't really get a chance to really see the level of fear or concern to people because there's just so much happening. They were doing like a the VA hospital. I think we just take the VA hospital and just focus on the fact that the training needs to happen. The training needs to happen and it needs to be uh, in a window that isn't so soon, but gives them more time to develop these characters in that in that horror, in that in, in that sci-fi horror. Now, with that, I think what we could also do next is we adjust the classroom scene. I think the classroom scene originally had a really good like focal point. It allowed for some of these students to talk about their feelings, but I think what ultimately ruined it was the inclusion of jokes. I think instead of us making this a funny thing, let's let these young actors be sincere and be real. This is a huge piece of news for these kids to have, to know that in 30 years, you know, they're going to be in their 40s, that the entire world could be over. That's wild for them. I think this could have been a moment for these young actors to really open up and really feel that. And instead of Martin being a goofball, maybe just have him lead that discussion, lead that like lead that comment, and also allow Chris Pratt to be like an actual teacher who would have to uh, you know be mindful of of that behavior, to be mindful of those feelings as opposed to like making fun of a student. So I think that scene could have been amplified and really allowed the viewer to just be transported into that scene and to kind of see things through those students' eyes in particular. I think we don't need the scene where he goes to see his dad. It was pointless and it really made him seem cold to his family. Like we we know that once he gets drafted, he goes back to his wife and his wife tries to tell him to like go find his dad because his dad's this uh, tech genius who's against the government. But when he goes there, it's this interaction that ultimately serves no purpose. He goes there and he doesn't get his device removed uh, and he just calls his dad a coward. But in that scene, he the reason he's going there is because his wife is begging him to get it removed for the sake of their family because he doesn't want them to like disappear. And he decides, nah, forget that. I'm just going to, I don't like him. I'm not going to let him do it for me. And that's kind of paints him in a bad light. I think we cut that scene entirely. Maybe what we do instead is 
She brings up, you know, we need to get that off of you. They don't have any solutions at that point in time. And he's like, you know what? And again, this allows him as a character to have more emotional moments. We cut out the J.K. Simmons part where you just focus on his wife's reaction and his daughter's reaction, tying us in to the emotional uh, stakes with this family. That's what we keep. We cut out the, the J.K. Simmons part. Now, in our transition to the next scene, to the training scene, we make this actual training for these civilians. We know that um, in the beginning, they had two squads. You have the research and development squad and, you know, some other B squad or whatever. Let's actually have the research squad be prepped to do research. Let's have them discuss the male and female species of this alien thing and really show the researchers, the researchers meeting one another. And by meeting one another, I mean really having around-the-world researchers. Despite this being a global issue, we only ever see uh, America represented in this war. We, we don't see any other countries. I mean, think this would have been a great point in time to, great, let's pull some other researchers and have them discuss what they need to do to help with this toxin. We can have them get to know about the future scientists' research, and they need to be prepped to support the colonel in the future. That way, you don't have just one person making this toxin. You have multiple people making this toxin. And it's important because it also shows that it's a joint world effort, which I think is impactful for this moment. Just to remind y'all, this film came out July 2nd. Came out July 2nd. This could have been a whole, like, this film had Independence Day vibes of, like, we're going to come together and solve this, this crisis, but it only focused on one country. So hopefully we get a chance to see all the countries come together in this scene, and it makes it more impactful when they solve the toxin case. Uh, it's also important thing to include not only the training, but also where they name Chris Pratt, you know, the squad leader or whomever the squad leader, so it seems less of a nose goes kind of thing and more of like, great, we all agreed, you're our leader, we're going to be with you. It's also important to know that this could have really allowed us to also see how these other people feel, these other background characters who are 40 and plus, who were told, hey, you're dying soon. Like, that's wild. That could have been an interesting moment of them, like, discussing their death and, like, them coming to terms with it and them wanting to be heroes or wanting to redeem themselves or maybe having a bad death and wanting to go out the right way. You get a chance for them to talk about that. And now, guess what? We get more emotional stakes, which is what we want. We want to see the emotional stakes at place with this film so we can connect more. Now, for the drop scene, we keep it the exact same way. You keep the drops in the, sorry, we change where they drop. Instead of them dropping out of the sky, the drop team is dropped in front of the hospital. Other than that, things play out the exact same way, um, with the exceptions of instead of Chris Pratt endangering everyone's lives, everyone's on the exact same page. And that same page is, if I fall behind, you got to move forward. I think that's important. Because again, I think we want to go back to like, oh, a hero never leaves anyone behind. But I think if we are really impactful with how we're doing the training scene, you have a moment like, great, we are all heroes. And I, as an individual hero, will stay behind to make sure that you can get away. That's important because that way it feels like their depths are less accidental and more of like, hey, I hurt myself. I'm going to put a, a line in the sand. 
and this is where I'm stopping. Like, this is where I'm going to fall, but I'm taking them with me. And now it allows for more of these heroic moments of self-sacrifice, but it also doesn't have Chris Pratt endangering people's lives who don't need to be endangered. So we just change it up a bit. And instead of, you know, in, instead of like them bombing the city, I think we just make it a chasing. They are trying to get to the beach. They're in Miami. They're trying to get to Miami Beach. They get to the Humvees. The Humvees aren't overrun just yet. A few of them get in the back of a Humvee. They take off. A few Humvees still get taken out because that was a dope scene. We keep some Humvees getting taken out, but we get a few who got away. A few get away. They're driving. They're going to the beach. They get onto a boat. A few of them get like spiked from afar, but they get on the beach. They get away. And guess what? We still cue that airstrike once they're off and in the water because at that point, the vials are safe with them and not at risk of being exploded, you know, because that was a wild scene to explode anyway. We, of course, go forward. And now we have the researchers prep the material with these new vials. They say, hey, we need something else. We, we still get to meet Yuri, who's, you know, Dan's daughter, but we cut out this father drama. We instead have her be super clear cut of, hey, the future, like my past probably isn't going to be set in stone because what we're doing here today is going to effectively change the past. So she isn't going to be so locked into like, oh, my version of you did this. She instead is focused on like, oh, we have a mission at heart and that mission is to save the planet. So we have them focus on a new mission. The researchers tell them we need a female sample. That's the next mission. We get them to focus up on that. And now we have that moment. Now we have Charlie and the other researchers trying to say, here's what we need from her. And we get a chance to really get them going to do so. We get the same scene of them getting, like, we keep that scene where they get the female at 100%. That scene was fantastic. It was shot well. was done well. That scene absolutely stays. What we do change is that instead of Murray being the sole person who creates this toxin, we bring in all those researchers that they have been touting about. Now they have survived. They're in the last spot that's available, which is that, um, that fully floatable, encompassed island where they are doing do-or-die work. The full team is working around the clock to get that toxin as a unit, as a unified force. We keep, like, that's the thing we keep. We, that's the scene we add. We add that scene to make sure that we are fully encompassing the unity aspect of this film. Because again, this film definitely gave me Independence Day vibes. If they, if they tweak it a bit, they can definitely accent that with this scene particularly. We still keep the White Spike invasion. That was beautifully done. We keep that invasion. We keep them trying to break in. We get the research team has developed the final toxin. They got it. They have it locked in place. They see that the queen's waking up. One of them goes, you know, one of the researchers goes and they run in there and they, you know, try to sedate her. They get murdered. Half the research team splits. Half of them are staying behind trying to, uh, you know, kill this this uh, female. The other half is going with Dan and Muri to try to get to a ship, to try to get to a helicopter to escape. So you give us these two split scenes. You give us a chance to see these researchers who have toiled together in this lab, are in their final fight together. Yes, they get murdered, but guess what? We are socially attached to these research team. So now it's impactful. We're hurt. We're angered. We have emotional tie-in. 
The other research team is running with Muri and Chris. They're trying to get away. They're trying to find a way to, 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 to safely get this toxin out of the way. Uh, Chris Pratt's daughter, instead of her, you know, going out by, you know, jumping or instead of her going out by falling into the water, she goes out like a like a badass. She's a colonel. She leads them into a section of the tower. Um, she knows they have maybe like 30 seconds left. She locks the door behind her. She goes and she faces the female herself um, because, again, she knows that Chris Pratt is too emotionally invested in her. So she does that so sacrifice heroically as opposed to just falling and being eaten alive. She chooses to take out these creatures on her own terms in her own way. And guess what? They they time jump into the future. Great. It happens. They got the toxin. Oh, no. But, like, did they get a sample? They need a sample. Oh, no. And then we look over at maybe Charlie or someone who is, you know, slowly uh, who is holding maybe a, a, a downed member of their, of their research team who has a couple of spikes in them or, or maybe even has a claw in them. And like in their last, you know, dying breath is like, I did it. I got one. And now they have a sample. So they can go in, they can get ready for the toxin, they can get ready to extrapolate the data. And now we have a moment where the world is excited. Yo, they came back. They did it. They did it. They did it. And now we have a scene where they all are in the lab together. They're like, great, we have two options, folks. We can let things play out and in 30 years use this toxin. Or uh, we were able to discover that somewhere in Russia, the aliens are there. We can go find them. And ultimately, they can decide we are going to go find them and and end this before it starts. The government can send a full team out there. They canvass all of Russia. They're looking for it. When they finally find it, they decide, hey, we're going to gas bomb the ship with these toxins. We're going to make toxin bombs. And we're going to plant it inside the ship so it'll blow it up and kill everything. They go in the ship. Still, they plant the, the little bombs. And, you know, of course, maybe some idiot accidentally, like, bumps up against one of them and the aliens wake up and you have that we got to get away before it explodes oh no and of course i think what we could include in the ends are you know we could include one of two things we could include a scene where chris pratt decides you know what people need more time and i'm going to sacrifice myself in a similar way to my daughter did and i'm going to close this door and i'm going to let the elder survive or b we have a scene where you know he barely escapes the cave. He like says he sets out the bomb. The queen almost gets out. Um, but just as she's about to get out, like, you know, the, the this, this big green explosion envelops her and she melts away and he, you know, barely gets away. Uh, he has a couple of scratches, a couple of bruises. He goes home. Finally, he goes home. Finally, he's 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 with his wife, his daughter. Uh, he spies the letter that his dad sent to his daughter to tell, you know, telling her, you know, happy birthday or whatever. And we get a chance where he goes over to the phone. He dials a number and someone picks up and he says, hey, dad. And then the movie ends. That's how it could end. That's how, in my mind, this film could have ended. Again, with a lot of these cuts, you could have cut down 30 to 45 minutes of this movie. Could have been very short. Could have been very, very short. Not too short, mind you, but not as long as it is now. So again, Tomorrow World, I feel like, is a film that has entertaining bits and pieces. And it's for that reason that I give it like a 5 out of 10. Like, it's not 
too bad, but it's also just crazy long. And it just includes so many uh, coincidences that they didn't really need to hit on, but they feel like they had to. So that's my verdict. It's a five out of 10, but I do think that with a, a lot of these changes, this film could have been really, really great. Like it could have been fantastic. I think it just had an issue with the timeline, had an issue with how the future soldiers chose to solve these problems and how the world chose to solve these problems. This film definitely, again, gave me Independence Day vibes and had they borrowed a lot of the unity message of Independence Day, I really think this, this could have been a really awesome like July 4th-ish movie that they you know, that they could play right next to Independence Day. This could have been a really awesome independent. And again, a drop July 2nd. This this film had all the makings of a really awesome full of July movie, uh, but it just didn't, you know, stick the landing. So that's my feelings on it. Um, I'm hoping that the Zach Dean character gets a bit more support in his future writing. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that he gets a script doctor. I'm, I'm hoping that he gets supported to do other things. But I think as far as like a first major film goes, it wasn't bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. You know, there was the, there's room for improvement. So if you want to watch Tomorrow World, definitely check it out with some folks, some friends, so you all can talk about it and dissect it. It's not a great film, but it's a film that will leave you talking about, hey, this also could have been added, or this also could have been taken out. If you thought of something that I didn't think of, let me know. Like, I would love to know how this film could have been uh, tweaked a bit, because I feel like, yo, maybe I missed something. But with that being said, this is one of our longer episodes of Mullen's Corner, where I was fully reworking an entire film. I do thank you for sticking with me through all of this. Uh, thanks for being here and supporting that. Um, you can, if you don't know, find me on social media at Marlon's Corner on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, hit me up. Tell me what you think about this film. Uh, otherwise, thanks for listening in. Thanks for being a part of this. Uh, thanks for being a part of a 40-minute episode. Way to go, me. This is fantastic. It'll not be uh, 40 minutes in the future, but who knows? Fingers crossed. You don't even know yet. Otherwise, folks, have a great day, and uh, we'll see you back here in the corner. I'm This episode of Marlin's Corner is produced in Richmond, California.